comics, 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 boneless comics podcast, boneless comics podcast, we like comics, I'm Joe Gatcho, and I'm Mike White, and this is We Like Comics Because They Have No Bones. That's right. <laughs> Thanks everybody for joining. <laughs> I was waiting for you to throw some kind of curveball in there, and you didn't have do, to it do it this time. Thanks everybody for joining. If this is your first time listening, consider this not being your first time listening, and go <laughs> listen to one of our other review episodes first, because this episode will focus on wrapping up our second season, and will contain spoilers on story content, review scores, and various comic book characters we covered within the last year. To continue the discussion and let us know your thoughts on the last year, follow us on social media at Boneless Comics Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube, and at Boneless Comics 1 on Twitter. That's right, and don't forget to check us out on the web at BonelessComicsPodcast.com where you can find our video episodes, after shows, bonus content, and our Amazon store where you can purchase any of the comics we've reviewed on our show. So to start things off today, we're going to do something a little different. Uh, it's trivia time. So before we get into our discussion, we're going to do a little segment that I'm calling How Good Is Joe's Memory? <sighs> this should be fun. And because my memory isn't perfect either, I have to pull up the answers. Oh, on that's my not phone, fair. So. I should get a cheat sheet. Uh, <laughs> so, our average aggregate score was a little bit higher this year than it was last year. What would you guess our average score was? We did rate some things. I feel like we gave out a lot of fours, and I know we gave out at least one, two, one, two, one, two. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't think we would be an average of three, but I don't think we'd be an average of four. So it's definitely somewhere in the middle, maybe like three and a half and some like decimal change. It is, it is 3.57. So you were, you were almost like right on the money Sweet. was our average score for the last year. And what do you think our lowest review was, like, between the both of us? I can only think of mine specifically. I think we both rated the Ratchet and Clank comic pretty low. Like, yep. we were really harsh on that one. Yeah. So that Ratchet and Clank was the biggest loser by far. We can get into why when we start to talk about it later. But what was our highest review this year, do you think? That's a tough one. I. <laughs> Because I know we gave out a bunch of fours, like I said, but I know on a lot of them, I think one of us was higher than the other. Yeah, but there's I... there's one specifically that we were both just slightly higher on than hmm. than normal. Was it Green Arrow? It was not Green Arrow. Huh. It was actually Hawkman Awakening. Huh. Um. It be you gave it a four, but I gave it a four point five, and that. Uh, averaged it to a 4.25. Okay. So it was slightly higher. It barely beat Red Lanterns by ah. 0.13 points. So Red Lanterns was the second place. Okay. And it, I, I think I gave it like a 0.25 or something like that. Or maybe you did. I think hmm. you, you bumped it just barely above a 4. And so that was that would have been our top contender, but then we did Hawkman next. Okay. So your individual lowest score last year was uh, you already mentioned was ratchet and yeah. clank and mine was actually near believe it or not uh, so wow. uh that was that was the only thing that i gave a solid two without like a modifier on I think it that too. was my highest wasn't it mm, it i think you just gave it a four i don't know if you uh. put a point on there or anything i don't i don't have that information <gasps> here you call yourself but, a nerd. I know, I know, I know. But these these kind of stats are fun, so I figured we'd start off with this. But 
what do you think was the most listened to episode we had last year? I think the last time I checked the stats, most of the top episodes were from season one, actually, which is very surprising. Right. Like that Nightwing episode, just far above any other mm-hmm. episode that we've produced, which is very funny. Right. Um, I know last night on Earth was there, but from this season, I think Green Arrow was on there. Yep. Yeah, okay. it was it was Green Arrow year one. So that had forty eight listens, uh, followed by Moon Knight, Fear the Dead, which had forty six. So we're circling right around that forty seven, but we didn't get it. So we need <laughs> one more person to listen to Moon Knight so we can have that. Or one that, person uh, to unlisten to Green Arrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just pretend you haven't heard it. I don't know. So uh, I think that's actually going to do it for the the trivia stuff that I had. But I think it's kind of fun to just crunch the numbers and stuff like that and we're nerds. So, you know. I think, you know, for like our listeners and things like that, most everybody's kind of from the United States. Most everybody, I think, is in our sort of age group. Mm -hmm. There's a pretty good split between like Spotify and Apple. Yeah. Listening on on those apps. Um, But we do have a lot of international listeners. I think the highest one is like Argentina, like four or five percent. Yeah. So that's that's pretty awesome. Thank you guys so much for listening. It's it's great to see all the people listening and subscribing and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, especially because we mostly are kind of focused on American comics. That's cool that it's Mm -hmm. appealing to people of, you know, a wider a wider audience than just the United States. So. Yeah, well, uh, you ready to get into just kind of doing a recap of the last year? So the first story that we did was Green Arrow Year One, which I guess we should have stuck with because it's the one (laughs) most people listen to. Uh, But that was published by DC Comics in 2007 and written by Andy Diggle and penciled by Jock. Yeah, I hadn't really heard of Andy Diggle, the writer, before. Obviously, I'd heard of the character of the same name on the Arrow TV show. Mm-hmm. And, of course, reading the comics post-2013. But I never... I remember we had written something about a crossover between Judge Dredd and the Aliens franchise. Yeah. And I, I think I even made it a point in that episode that I would really like to read that. And I haven't done that, but I'm definitely still interested. I need to add that to my list for... 2023 i totally forgot that that was a thing but that would be really cool to look at especially because i've really only seen the two judge dread movies and i don't really know anything about the comics they're a lot bigger in england than they are here so i haven't read the aliens comics either yeah i guess that's true i guess i guess i probably haven't dark horse used to have the license and they really like did a lot with it from what i understand Hmm. i think that's where the avp idea came from was like those comics okay and then eventually they did like video games and then it became a movie like way later Hmm. but uh yeah you actually this is one of them where we actually landed on the exact same score so we had a just a solid four okay for for green arrow so i think that makes sense like it Mm -hmm. you know as far as origin stories go it was really enjoyable it was a good introduction to the character it was you know it obviously inspired the arrow cw show Mm -hmm. so it was you know good to use with that and it's similar but it has a lot more depth and i think you find that in comics a lot is because they're able to you know take their time and go through things so a little bit more and we see Oliver's change from like spoiled rich brat to benevolent billionaire mm-hmm. I think is what we call him in the mm-hmm. episode and it, it was very memorable and I'm glad that we reviewed this and I thought it was a good you know way to start off 2022 yeah that 
it, it was just a really fun book overall. I mean, it had been years since I'd read it, so I had kind of forgotten how clear his character arc was. Mm-hmm. But that's really something that I think we both look for usually is does the character have any kind of like growth or change throughout the the story? So yeah. that yeah, it was really satisfying from that that point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was kind of fun too with the intro music. Like I did a little changes mm-hmm. for uh, season two to make it a little more exciting and, and different. But then I added the arrow theme from the CW show mm-hmm. kind of, I think at the end of our, our introduction, just to sort of throw like a little beat to it that, you know, fit an action hero. And like when I hear it, I think of arrow. I don't necessarily think of green arrow because the character on that show was so different. Like he yeah. was a lot more, I guess Batman like, especially with the Batman villains they had. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, like it's just kind of fun to link stuff like that mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Ratchet and Clank from 2012 by Wild Sword Comics. That was written by TJ Fixman and penciled by Adam Archer. I really had high hopes for this one because it was enjoyable, but I was also thinking, and I think we talked a lot about this, like it could have mm-hmm. been a lot better because the games have so much story. There's bazillions of different types of weapons, which I don't think they really did much with the weapons in there, which is disappointing because that's a big point of the games. Right. And then it was also kind of like a, a ripoff of a B story rather than something new that was really adding to the lore. Mm-hmm. And then the villain was kind of two-dimensional where I think he, he either went from, I think it was he went from like, a normal guy to super villain like very quickly. Yeah. And Captain Quark like Oh, you mean like Revenge of the Sith? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> where it's like all of a sudden, sure, I'll kill a bunch of I'm kids. I'm evil and, now. Yeah, you know. Well, I mean, after he witnessed Samuel L. Jackson going out the window, I think it was, that was just it for him. I like, guess. You, you killed my favorite actor. Like, oh, well, I, <laughs> I'm a Sith Lord now. But <laughs> anyway, um, but I, I think overall this one was kind of forgettable as far as Ratchet and Clank goes. Yeah, so my, I actually feel like I remember it pretty well, but I remember it pretty well for the things that it didn't do, mm-hmm. more than what it did do. Yeah. I remember that the art had him kind of over-muscularized, and that bothered me, and also, it's basically like, take Ratchet and Clank, but drop most of the jokes and the humor out, and make just kind of a straight-ahead serious story, and then that's what they did, and I'm like, mm-hmm. but the humor is so much a part of what makes that yeah, what it is, you know. So I I remember like a similar criticism when, uh, Shyamalan's Avatar: The Last Airbender movie came out. I think he like really made it dark and serious, and the uh, the cartoon has a much lighter tone and mm-hmm. things like that. So it it just wasn't a good adaptation, which was disappointing coming from I think Fixman was actually somebody that had written for the games. Yeah. So so yeah, that was really disappointing. I don't know. Yeah. The music from A Rift Apart was really good and I threw that into the intro theme for the episode. Mm. So it was like even more hyped of like this was a really cool game. Here's some really cool music from the game. Let's talk about this comic. Yeah, and we're <laughs> like this really I'm going to give it a 2. Burn, you know, we, yeah, were, we that, were pretty hard on that it. That was the one that we were in most agreement on the low score on and I think is probably the most deserving of the low score that we gave it yeah. of the year. So It's it's also funny I was just thinking about this. We've done multiple Wildstorm comics, but we've never done an actual Wildstorm universe comic with <laughs> the characters from that universe. We've just done stuff that's kind of like video game adaptations published wow. under that, that imprint. So we I like don't know. video games. We do. <laughs> Wolf one, end game. 
Star Trek Generations. So 1994's Star Trek Generations from DC Comics was an adaptation of the feature film of the same name. It was written or adapted by Michael Jan Friedman and penciled by Gordon Purcell. So this one we ended up not rating at all because mm. uh, it, it was kind of like they used a spec script or they had like the tiny, I think they actually had the tiny film frames from yeah. like like uh, older parts of the shoot and then had the artist actually reproduce those, but they didn't have really what the final version of the movie was yet. I don't think it had been cut. And yeah. so there was a lot of stuff that was in the comic that w- that is not in the movie or in the movie that's not in the comic. But uh, I, I think the most enjoyable thing about that was just if you have read the comic, it does fill in some blanks for the movie and vice versa. So they work together as kind of companion pieces, but also we're so close to the material it's hard to you know rate it or give it a number yeah well and i think with with what you said because it was actually seven months prior to the release of the movie Mm -hmm. when the comic came out and i i think we kind of just agreed that it wouldn't really be fair because they weren't adapting something that they were able to watch multiple times they were basically like recreating it in lab and taking a guess at what it was going to look like but it's really unique, I think, in that aspect, but also because a lot of stuff that didn't make it into the movie is in there that fills in gaps and also clears up a few plot holes that were in the yeah. movie. So I think it's one of those, like, this really enhances the movie because it shows you extra stuff that you didn't get in the movie. So it's super important mm-hmm. that way. And for that reason, I would rate it highly. But if you're just at, like you wanted to pick this up off the shelf and read it and be like, I haven't really read a Star Trek comic before. Maybe I'll start here. This would not be no. somewhere to start. No, that's that's not where I would want to start. It's I think it functions best as like a a piece of fan um, just memorabilia or something like that, where mm-hmm. you can, it's really a nice companion piece yeah. to the movie. So. I don't think I asked during the episode, but I had a note that about a Fantastic Four novel that Michael Jane Friedman had actually wrote. Is that something that you read? Was it representative of a style or is it not something you're familiar with? So I have not read that, but I have read a ton of his Star Trek novels. Okay. Uh, like in the 90s and the early 2000s, he was really, really active writing Star Trek novelizations and they weren't they weren't adaptations they were like original material mm-hmm. so there there were a ton of TNG novels uh, maybe some Deep Space Nine in there as well it's it's interesting actually how much crossover there is between the comic book world and doing those kind of like media adaptations because I think uh, Peter David who's also somebody that is heavily associated with like the Hulk and Aquaman and mm-hmm. and other comic book characters. He's also done a ton of Star Trek novels mm-hmm. as well. So that's cool to see the crossover of, of those fandoms. And I I will say the one thing about my perspective on this comic that's changed since that time is I've now started Star Trek Picard season 2. <laughs> and so now I've started to realize like wow, when this was coming out the, all of the themes and the ideas that are going on in Star Trek Generations and even getting into, like, Guinan's backstory, all of that is super relevant to the most recent season of Picard. Mm-hmm. So it's been really neat kind of thinking about that review that we did and thinking about talking through that movie. And, you know, we had that discussion, and now I can almost enjoy that show more because we, we dug deeper into that. So. Yeah. 
Yeah, I wish there was a lot more Star Trek that was enjoyable from you know a media perspective uh, that's on TV today. Yeah. We don't have to debate those, but <laughs> uh, I'm sure a lot of Star Trek fans will kind of think the same. Like Star Wars has just exploded, but Star Trek mm-hmm. not so much. But I I had a lot of fun with this episode, like in in production and things like that. I added like a transporter sound effect, and I actually went back to find an old trailer for the movie back from the 90s that I threw into the intro so that was kind of fun and I actually made like a promo video where I had like a Star Trek uniform on and I added like a little transporter effect. Yeah. It went the wrong direction it went like left to right instead of vertical. <laughs> I think your mom made a comment on that like oh, oh did she really? His transporters are very advanced or you know something oh, like that. Oh that's hilarious. So that that was a lot of fun to do to kind of get into you know Star Trek in, in that aspect mm-hmm. for the episode. Yeah that's super cool. So our review of Batman Year One, that comic was from 1987, and I think that's one of maybe two that we reviewed from really pre-2000. I think most Mm -hmm. of the stuff that we reviewed was 2000 and later. 2000 and late. But (laughs) Batman Year One was written by Frank Miller and penciled by David Mostaccioli. I mean, Mazzaccelli. Sorry about that. Yes. He is not food. He is a person. He is indeed. But it's interesting. So Frank Miller and Mazzaccelli did a... Uh, Daredevil Born Again comic, Mm -hmm. which we're actually going to have a show or movie or something with Charlie Cox coming out based on that, supposedly. Mm -hmm. And there were actually pictures of Charlie Cox online reading the comics to prepare for the role, which is, you know, always cool to see. So I think that's something, you know, since we, I think we like this one pretty well. There were some, like, oddities in it, like, yes, father, I shall become a bat and and (laughs) things like that. But I think overall it was good. So it'd be interesting to, you know, check out some of their other work. Yeah, this is really the most celebrated part of Frank Miller's career is like the late 80, 80s, early 90s. Mm-hmm. And since then, a lot of his stuff has either caused controversy or been kind of written off. Or famously, there was one story that was a little too spicy for DC. So he actually had to take it somewhere else to get it published because uh, they were like, we're not going to we're not going to touch that. Uh, so he he is kind of a controversial guy, but this is really I think everybody agrees that his Batman and his Daredevil are good. Yeah, he's a good fit for those characters. So I believe that I own Born Again. I I would have to be at home and actually pull out my trades mm-hmm. to to see if I do. I know that I've read it. So either way, that's that would probably be a good thing for us to dive into as they develop that or at least are using that title for the upcoming Disney Plus show. Yeah, hopefully that story is about Daredevil because in Batman Year One, it seemed like it was more about Jim Gordon than it was Batman. Like it was really yeah. focused on him. Yeah, so that's that's probably my biggest criticism of Year One that I recall. And I, I had this going into it and then rereading it. I still kind of felt the same way that Gordon is almost more central than Bruce Wayne is. But one thing that the story does do a really good job of is showing the difference between their lifestyles and even with mm-hmm. like the lettering i remember there being oh, yeah. like like bruce had kind of a fancier hand and and uh gordon's was more of like a stock you know text mm-hmm. for for his bubbles and stuff and i thought that was kind of a cool touch so i yeah i remember liking that one i think i was slightly higher than you on it but but we both were pretty positive overall yeah. so it was kind of funny too so this episode for us marks the first time that i changed our kind of opening where instead of saying like we like comics because they have no bones I said and <laughs> we are the night and then I played the like animated series uh, Batman 
from the nineties opening yeah. with me saying that and like the thunder crashing and that that was a lot of fun. So that's why it throws me when you don't do that now, because now <laughs> we've gotten into such a habit of you throwing something weird in that when you just say the title, I'm I'm like I have to stop for a second and reset. I'm like, wait, what? He just he just said it normally. It's funny What's to watch on? your reaction in and every episode too. <laughs> when I do something like off book, you're just like, "Oh, what? What? What's what, he saying? What do I do now?" Yeah, I, I should make a video of all of those like strung together of me saying something like different for the intro and you the being mic, like, huh? "The mic huh? shocked huh? B-roll." <laughs> yeah, yeah, we should do that. So, Moon Knight Fear the Dead from 2014 by Marvel Comics was our yeah. next review. And that was written by Warren Ellis and penciled by Declan Shalvey. And uh, we actually both gave fours to that. So, that was one where we were pretty much in complete agreement. But uh, I was familiar with Warren Ellis beforehand because he has written a lot of Wildstorm stuff. And I'm a big mm-hmm. fan of those characters and how he kind of created like Stormwatch and and some of these other teams that are superheroes, but they're black ops superheroes that are clandestine and and kind of exist outside of the limelight. So I was a big fan of his stuff. Uh, I've read a lot of it. Doom 2099 with Marvel in the 90s. He did Ultimate Fantastic Four. And then you kind of unearthed some disgusting details about him as a person. (laughs) And I remember being like, ooh, like that's that makes me not like him as much so yeah. so i that's what stands out to me the most thinking about warren ellis now is like <laughs> ooh, there was a big controversy and in fact that explained why a wildcat series that i was looking forward to never came out mm. uh because i guess that controversy happened and then they dc was kind of like we're, yeah we're going to run away now <laughs> you know I think it's cool that Moon Knight, uh, his first appearance was in Werewolf by Night, and then we actually got a live-action adaptation of Werewolf by Night on Disney+, mm-hmm. Plus, in addition to the Moon Knight series that came out. So that was really cool, and you know, just seeing that side of Marvel and Disney where they were able to actually like have some blood and gore, even though it was black and white, in the uh, Werewolf by Night, not in Moon Knight, because we didn't have any of that there. Uh, but Michael Chiacchino did a great job as both director and also scoring the music in Werewolf by Night. And mm-hmm. I really hope we see more of this kind of thing in the future. Like, even if it's not a full series or, you know, movie trilogy or MCU, yeah. even if it's, like, not related to MCU, because they, like, sort of teased that in this, yeah. in that, like, little short. I, I guess it, it's not really a movie because it was, like, 56 minutes long, but... You know, just having having mm-hmm. a one shot or, you know, something out there like that is really cool to just mm-hmm. see those things that, you know, we wouldn't necessarily like wouldn't be popular with everyone. Having just watched that yesterday for the first time, I do have to say it was really enjoyable. And I think when we reviewed this comic, we only had one episode of the TV show to oh, really yeah. riff on. And so I, I remember that being kind of difficult to compare because we're like, hopefully this turns into something cool. And my impression of that series overall was that it got off to a really strong start and then it kind of lost a little bit of steam as it went on. And really the violence was was one of the biggest disconnects because this comic is, it's not like brutally violent, just gore all the time, mm-hmm. but there's blood when people get shot. You know, there's things like that. You see Moon Knight killing people and they really shied away from all of that stuff on Disney+, Plus, even though it was TVMA. Yeah. So I'm not really even sure how they earned that rating, but I, I think... You know, looking at this after the fact, my biggest change in my impression of it is not that I think the comic was any worse or better, but that I 
actually think the show wasn't quite as enjoyable now mm. having all of it to take into account so yeah it'd be kind of like taking deadpool and taking away all of the blood and gore yeah. and things like that like it doesn't have to be over the top like some of the what 90s punisher mm. movies where it's like just <laughs> horrific to watch him like murder all these people oh it doesn't God. need to be like that but like when okay so when moon knight gets stabbed with a bunch of like spears and they're going into mm-hmm. his body or people are getting shot with bullets and the, he's wearing a white outfit and there's no no discoloration no nothing like no it's, that's a little too far the other direction yeah so. it's almost like cartoony in its nonviolence, mm-hmm. you know. And maybe that was the point. I don't know. But yeah, it, it's funny. So speaking of Warren Ellis, I actually bought the Iron Man Extremis story arc because we talked oh, about that. Oh, nice. Um, and I found it on sale, but I haven't read it yet. So I can't say whether <laughs> I liked it or not. I haven't read that either, but I, it's it's very well reviewed, I know. So. Yeah. So this episode, as far as like us producing it goes, um, I actually included the trailer for Moon Knight since you know we did the episode about the same time the, mm-hmm. the series limited series came out, and but like I added the we like bananas because they have no bones because that's act- an actual song. Yeah. Uh, but I took that melody and I added it on top of the trailer music and then I changed the style of the opening music. So this one was really a lot different than a lot of the openings in like mm-hmm. the first season or even in the episodes before, and I tried to make it sound like disjointed and crazy as if it had its own, you know, disorder of some sort that it was like fighting with with the music. So I, w- I started getting into doing that sort of thing from this point out. Um, yeah. In the episode. That's one of the fun things for me, too, is when I when I get the final edit then to review it. I get to hear that stuff for the first mm-hmm. time. And so I get to, it's kind of fun. That's one of the few moments with the podcast where I get to just be a fan and listen and see like <laughs> what, you know, oh, what did he come up with for the intro music on this or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously if it's, if it's something that we're not both comfortable with, we'll go yeah. back to the editing table. But most of the time I hear it and I'm like, oh, that's so cool. And <laughs> so, yeah, the music wise, I, I think usually it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. The uh, bananas. So I've been doing some like sort of <laughs> digital art. Like I, I made like a Moon Knight version and it's really tough and I'm not really that great at it. I'm not much of a like visual artist sure so it's kind of hard so we do go back and forth on those i think quite mm-hmm. a bit but i think this is the first one where i i changed the like the the drawing that you yeah. had like i made it digitally sort of look like moon knight a little mm-hmm. bit like i think i i have the the shadow from his chin on the the like mask <laughs> i think i have that on the banana so it looks like he has this either like weird beard or like a triangular <laughs> jaw or something so wasn't the best, but it was my first one. So. Oh, that's fine. All right, it's Morbin time. Yes, it is. Yeah, so I got these from the theater when uh, I went to go see the movie Morbius, which uh, I guess you have not seen yet, but we definitely no. we should watch that while you're here because, <laughs> it, yeah, you yeah, you just need to it's see it. It's an experience. <laughs> but in uh, the episode that we did, we actually reviewed Morbius Old Wounds from 2020. So mm-hmm. even though they were old wounds, it was actually a pretty recent comic. Yeah. One of the most recent that we had reviewed by uh, Marvel. I think that's probably the most recent comic we've reviewed, period. I th- uh, thought yeah. there was one other that was like within the last year. Maybe. So. I, I, Mr. Miracle, when, when we did it last year, was only a couple years old. But mm-hmm. I... Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. But Morbius Old Wounds was written by Vita Ayala and penciled by Marcelo Ferreira. And I think 
when we had talked about them, uh, Vita had written mostly DC stuff, a lot of New mm-hmm. Mutants, and there was just like so many X-Men comics that we've really not got into, but maybe we should, but it's like, where do you yeah. jump on at? You know, there, there's so much going on. Like, I like the cartoon from the 80s, and of course mm-hmm. the movies, you know, around the early 2000s, but that's... You know, jumping into X Men just seems like an exhaustion. It's it's so daunting, and that's I mean that's funny because we're comic book fans that are into comics have been into comics, mm. but X Men just feels like such a universe in and of itself yeah. that it, it's really hard to know where to break in. But I I think we may end up I mean not to spoil the ending, but we may end up trying to dip our toes into some mutants mm-hmm. this year. So yeah, I think this one we didn't have a much much of a different opinion on although i did start the trend of making it really hard for me to average things by giving it a 3.75 so it averaged out to like a 3.8725 or something like that i'm just making it harder on myself when i do the averages (laughs) i think i rated this one a little higher because i mean it 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 was it was pretty good Mm -hmm. but it was just so much better than the movie that i felt like it got bonus points (laughs) for that but I, I remember like learning about the the backstory with the side characters, you mm-hmm. know, and that not only was it just better than the movie, but it was a lot of, like gave it more depth. And it's like, mm-hmm. OK, it's not just Morbius, but it's the other characters. You know, he's got like a posse with him, that that kind of thing. Whereas in the movie, it was kind of forced. It was kind of bland, especially with the bad CGI. Right. Although Matt Smith's per- performance was really good. I, I felt like he's he, always good. He did a good job with a character that was not written very well honestly but this also had some uh, cliche writing where you know somebody's clearly dead but then uh, somebody makes a comment and says well they'll live they just might need some skin grafts or (laughs) well we just found your lab by following your path of destruction or the beast inside wants her blood even as the man sickens at the thought like there's some narration (laughs) it was just so weird and then there was like an art style change. I think the last issue looked yeah. really different and it yeah. was not as good. So it kind of ruined it at the end. So there were a lot of things that, you know, were against this one. But I, I think, you know, like I said, I just rated it higher because I liked it more than the movie. I remember enjoying it. I, I think, again, I was almost to a four. But kind of the problem we've run into this year is we've we've actually read a lot of stuff that we've really liked that's been around a four. Mm-hmm. And so then when I'm mentally going, okay, this is a four, I go, well, is it better than the last four or worse? And so that's where my like point fives and point two fives start to come in. Because yeah. I'm like, well, it's a four, but I like Green Arrow a little bit better than I like this. So mm-hmm. maybe it's a three point eight seven five two <laughs> seven, you know, whatever. But I remember enjoying it. I all I can remember about his supporting cast though was that like female Van Helsing type character. Yeah, it was like his his best friend and then his best friend's like sister or something. Yeah. And the, you know, best friend had had something happen to him and so the sister was mad about it mm-hmm. and, and there was like kind of this drama around it. But I remember Spider Man being in there briefly as well, which mm-hmm. I I felt like uh, kind of like our Venom story in the first season. Yeah. I was like he is a character that's kind of related to Spider-Man. He, he debuted in those pages, but I would really rather see what makes him unique and not right. need him to rely on an, another, you know, supporting character. Well, and they kind of so. use that trope of, like, we see the, you know, anti-hero doing his thing, and he's kind of starting to go off on his own, and then Spider-Man comes in, and he's got the, like, 
almost prejudice of, well, I know you as a villain. Right. And so I'm coming in and I see something happening out of context. And so I'm like, well, you're up to your old tricks again. I right. need to stop you. And it's like, well, actually, no, I'm not. But, you know, Venom has that link with Spider-Man because, you know, they shared the mm. same symbiote, but symbiotes. But <laughs> Morbius, it was a little different because Morbius realizes that he needs Spider-Man's blood in order to stabilize yeah. his condition. Mm -hmm. So it's like next to his secret identity, that's probably the next thing that's <laughs> right. most you know kept secret for Spider-Man. So he doesn't want to give up his blood because yeah. who knows what kinds of horrible things can be done with that. So it's, it's a different angle, I think. And mm -hmm. having Spider-Man in the story in this instance, I think, was better than like maybe the Venom story. Yeah, they justified it more for yeah. sure. So I did modify the banana in this episode to sort of look like a vampire. And it's funny, I couldn't remember the intro, so I actually went back and watched it. And it's <laughs> funny because I have like the regular music sort of playing, and then there's this like scream, and then there's a flash of the vampire <laughs> banana, and then it like st we ha start to have some guitar undertones, and then yeah. I threw the Morbius trailer in there, and it was kind of a cool intro, like mm -hmm. just like a little horror theme that I did. And I, I think we were having some discussions, too, about, you know, tying ourselves to reviewing works related to media releases. We didn't yes. want to do that necessarily of where it's guiding what we're reviewing, but it was fun mm -hmm. from a media standpoint to be able to include things that were current and relevant into yeah. the episodes that we were doing. So it's kind of a two-edged sword there. Yeah, that that's definitely where we got into that kind of just, okay, how much do we want to be chained to this, really? Yeah. So next up, we had Doctor Strange Across the Universe from 2018, published by Marvel, written by Mark Wade, penciled, colored, and inked by Jesus Saiz. And this one we were pretty close on opinions with, I think. I was slightly higher than you. But uh, my memory of it is really just that I thought it was really cool that they ended up taking Doctor Strange and pulling him out of just being an Earth-based character. Mm -hmm. And so they put him into this world where he was having to learn magic from other planets. Yeah. And that was really a neat twist on it where he wasn't just doing the same old thing. So I think maybe I, I tend to rate higher whenever I just like the concept. Even if they, like if they swing high but they don't quite make it, I still give credit for like, well, you swung for something, you know? Mm. So I think that's maybe why my point five was in there instead of yours. Yeah. I think that makes sense. I'm not sure why I gave it like exactly a three. Cause mm. I, I kind of agree looking at it now that it's, a, it's a little above average because of those yeah. things. Like I remember us talking about like, he was almost making customized magic spells that, yeah. you know, from the dwarves of, I don't remember how to pronounce it now. Nidavellir. Yes. That. <laughs> <laughs> they were making like actual magic spells that he could use. And he's like, well, how do you want it to go? That kind of thing. And I was mm -hmm. like, this would be a great RPG element mm -hmm. to have where a character has magic, but they actually get to make, you know, actually get to customize their magic spells. That yeah. would be awesome. But I, I think there were a lot of things that, you know, struck against this, which was like, it looked a little cartoony. It had some 3D computer elements. The alien designs were kind of stock, mm -hmm. typical aliens. And that's, that's what I remember the most about the art is yeah. that the, that the alien designs were just kind of like, I've seen this. And there was you know. a lot of narration. So then you have all this mm -hmm. art that's not really that great. And then you have text on top of it everywhere that you have to read. And it just kind of ended mm -hmm. up being like a lot 
But, you know, at the same time, like it, it wasn't that it was written poorly or that the yeah. dialogue was bad. I mean, we didn't have any, you know, cliche lines or anything goofy no. out of this one. So I'm still interested to read the S.H.I.E.L.D. comic that Mark Wade wrote because it introduced several of the characters from the television series mm-hmm. into the comics universe, which is, a, you know, not always a good thing, but I'd be interested to see if, you know. Yeah, it depends. Did. It depends on how it's done, you know. Yeah. And I had fun with the intro on this one. So, like, I said, we like comics because they are mysterious and travel the universe <laughs> in multiple realms, but they also have no bones. So that was a fun, fun change. And then I did, like, the Doctor Strange banana guy who had, like, all the arms behind him and yeah, everything. Yeah, like that was awesome, spell and, and that kind of thing. That was fun. And then I threw the Doctor Strange music like mm-hmm. at the beginning, I think. And so YouTube actually flagged it, not as a copyright strike, <sighs> but they're like, oh, we noticed that you use some music. So then I kind of figured out, well, if I do like a remix of it or I add some, you know, different layers on top of it, then it doesn't flag me quite as much. So yeah. I, I started to play around with the music a little bit more, I think, after this point. But from this point before, it mm-hmm. was just like, here's a trailer or here's a score. And I just like would plop it right in. Sure. So it was kind of kind of different. But this also marks the first point on TikTok where I started making video trailers for each episode. This one was just like the theme music and us listing the name of the comic, the writer, artist, and a few like short clips that I Mm -hmm. just sort of mocked up of us talking about the comic. But I tried to keep it to like 30 seconds because I think on Instagram at the time, that was the limit. And it seemed like a reasonable length. Well, it's funny because we're really inconsistent with that because a lot of the time... You know, we started doing it where we're like, let's record a special promo just for this episode. And then there were several of them where we would get done and put all of our recording equipment away and all that. And then be like, (laughs) oh, crap, like we have to record a promo. I'd send a text like, oh, we forgot to do a promo. (laughs) And you're like, I put everything away. Yeah. (laughs) So it's like, all right, well, I have to put my mic back out. I have to get my webcam out because my, you know, my setup is not ideal for just living as far as recording so i really do have to kind of yeah. shift the room back and forth depending on what i'm doing yeah so. you well you you're like in your living room yeah exactly. whereas i'm in a separate like room right. that i can just leave stuff set up and it's no yeah problem. so yeah exactly there, there's that difference so i don't yeah that that was a fun one i don't remember being really too negative on the art myself except for the the stock aliens mm-hmm. and and i think that was really the only thing so yeah So I remember liking Ms. Marvel's Civil War 2 from 2016 by Marvel Comics, written by G. Willow Wilson with artists Adrian Alfona, Takeshi Miyazawa, and Mirka Andolfo. Sorry, that was a really long intro, but uh, I had to you know, get all that stuff out there. But That's I, a lot of information. Yeah. I remember liking this one, but it was kind of challenging because we wanted to talk about Civil War as a storyline, mm-hmm. both the first one and the second one, but also talk about Ms. Marvel, and then also sort of cover, because this was another one where the, the Disney Plus story show had came out about the same time and I think maybe one or two episodes were out so we were Mm -hmm. sort of speculating on what we thought was going to go but I think we ended up kind of talking about everything and discussing Civil War and then also really liking the Ms. Marvel that they had you know laid out here as far as what her actual you know points were in the story and it was cool like there were a lot of fun moments where we had like some funny pop culture references that mm-hmm. were slightly altered like tween mutant samurai turtles and 1.21 gigawatts and gabar singh is my co-pilot and, yeah. and things like that yeah. so 
there were a lot of nice touches that were added to this. But, you know, now that we've seen the entire Ms. Marvel show, Mm -hmm. we can kind of contrast with it. And I I think, like, I liked the show. I thought it was very enjoyable. And I didn't think there was a huge disparity between the the comics and the show. Mm -hmm. Whereas with Moon Knight... I don't think it was, you know, necessarily disparity, but that like lack of blood was like a very yeah. Big, like it was it was jarring. Thing. If you if you were expecting Moon Knight that you read in the comics, it was jarring. Mm-hmm. So so the TV show altered her powers. Yeah, and that's true. my sort of supposition about that is that they probably did that because in the comics she is similar to Mr. Fantastic mm. in her powers and since they're going to be setting up the Fantastic 4 before too long I think maybe that was a decision made to like let's not have two characters that their powers are really similar. Yeah. Uh so she projected this energy field in the show whereas on the in the comics she embiggens or whatever like mm-hmm. her fist gets really big and and she smashes stuff and she stretches and all that. So uh, she also was created, to my knowledge, I believe at a time when Reed Richards and Susan Storm were not in any Marvel titles at the time. So mm. there was kind of a, a vacuum to be filled for that kind of like stretchy character at the time, too. So I, that, again, I don't know, but that to me is like maybe that's why they made this choice. So, uh, But yeah, I just remember her character arc being really, really satisfying mm-hmm. and being surprised that it showed kind of the limitations of Captain Marvel and her strict military thinking and how that could kind of be taken to an extreme that maybe wasn't good. And Ms. Marvel uh, or Kamala having to stand up to her. And that just, that really resonated more emotionally and narratively and all those things than the actual Civil War story. So it Mm -hmm. it was hard to talk about this one because... We had all of the event stuff kind of surrounding it, but it was nice that there was such a strong character beat in the middle of that that we could really hold on to. And I think that's what was missing from the event at large was really a character point of view that you could really root for them 100 Mm percent. So, Well, and I I think we talk about it in the episode, too, but Mm -hmm. like Civil War 2 had a much more relatable story. Yeah. Because it was about like visions and seeing the future and precognition and and do we Mm -hmm. hold people accountable for things that, you know, it shows that they might do in the future. Right. Versus the first Civil War where it's like, well, everybody needs to give away their secret identity and register with the government. Yeah. Like that's kind of a seems like a very dry, you know, thing. And at the time, I, I think it was a lot more maybe exciting than it is looking back now but it, it was topical i mean they were doing a story about the patriot act and after you know uh september 11th attack mm. happened and so it was you know kind of the the issue of like well would we rather be safe or would we rather be free and so that was supposed to be what the discussion was about but unfortunately uh the writing of that story from mark millar in order to have all the heroes fight each other he made them do a lot of things that were out of character and that really dragged it down. So, yeah. so yeah, this just was more enjoyable overall. Yeah, I think if you remove the Civil War aspect from it, it was a really yeah. nice Ms. Marvel story. Yeah, absolutely. And, and almost essential to read if you're a fan of the character. Yeah. For the podcast episode, I really didn't do anything exciting. I had uh, I basically added Kamala's like mask, I think. Oh and yeah. And then the little like lightning bolt. I put I that on that. on the book, yeah. and that was it. I didn't do much. I I guess the this episode it was a banana <laughs> girl and not a banana man. There you go. But there was like a really slow beat from the trailer, and that was all the music I had. So I sort of like worked that in, and mm. I I changed the intro theme 
based on that slow beat, but it wasn't really that exciting. Yeah, can we think. get back to having theme music before shows and movies and stuff like that? Right? Because we really need that for the podcast, but also yes. because it was just more enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> Umbrella Academy Apocalypse yeah. Suite was up next from Dark Horse Comics, written by Gerard Way and penciled by Gabriel Ba. Ba. Yeah. Ba, everybody. I remember you making that yeah. joke. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ba, see you later. Uh, so I was slightly higher than you on this one. Um, I, I like Gerard Way, but there are a few stories that I've read by him that didn't really connect with me. This one... I think having the background of the Netflix show going into it really enhanced my enjoyment of it. Whereas I don't think you had that at all, mm. that language established to kind of recognize who the characters were and, and sort of the direction the story was going. So, um, yeah, that's that's really my memory of it most. Well, the background of the Netflix show I had going into it was watching the trailer and being like, I don't think this is a show that I'm going to want to watch. <laughs> and so then you recommended the comic and you're like, oh, the show is great. And I'm like, OK, well, I'll, you know, give it a shot. Yeah. And I I don't know. It just it didn't connect with me really that much. Like I, I enjoyed talking about it and sort of sure. learning about the universe. But I even went back to try to watch the Netflix show again. And I was like, it's just not my cup of tea like I, yeah. I just can't really get into it so i think uh, i think i'm i'm good with my rating but it's more of a personal like this just doesn't yeah. work for me versus i didn't like you know think they did a bad job putting it together sure. or anything like that sure but at the same time nothing that gerard way can do can top the creation of penny <laughs> parker and the spider in the spider verse like i, I want to see more penny parker they, yeah, maybe is, they should throw her into the Umbrella Academy. <laughs> is there much else out there of her except for that Spider-Verse event? Not really. I mean, she makes a couple cameos, and that's kind of it, I think. Wow. That's crazy because it seems like she was so central in the uh, the Spider-Verse movie, mm-hmm. actually. So that's really surprising to yeah. me. But yeah, I, I like Umbrella Academy. I've seen all three seasons now, and I, I think they do a really good job of balancing the character drama with the crazy sci-fi stuff that they do. Um, it does feel a little bit more grounded than the comic book, though, just because it's live action. And it's mm-hmm. not, you, you know, so, I mean, whether or not you like that they don't have, like, an amusement park coming to life and trying to kill everybody <laughs> or the, the Eiffel Tower, you know, being possessed by aliens or something like that. I mean, I, it'd be cool to see in live action, but they, that's not the tone that they went for. Yeah. So I think I'd be interested in seeing, like, a cartoon version where they get to do some yeah. of the weird stuff. But mm-hmm. I, I think the, like, grounded drama was maybe yeah. hard for me to get past. Yeah, that's fair. But, you know, in, in sort of contrast, I guess, to my enjoyment of the comic, I really enjoyed putting this episode together. Mm-hmm. Like, I actually created a white banana man, which was basically, like, the white violin <laughs> right. character. Like, I did a lot of editing on that to make it look just right. Like Mm -hmm. I, it took a long time to put that all together. And then I actually added like a solo violin to the intro and I added like a visual effect with little music notes coming out to show that, you know, the banana person was the white violin playing a violin and it was like Mm -hmm. affecting the audience. So hope, you know, I'm surprised this isn't our most listened to episode of 2022 because the hypnosis was there, but I I guess it, it didn't work. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but the way the hypnosis worked in the comics was it just made everybody want to, like, kill people, right? Oh, so. yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's not what we're going for here. Oh. My real name is Katar Hall, but you can call me Hawkman. Hawkman! 
I don't know why. It just just kind of came to me one day. But that's our uh, thing. During our review of Hawkman Awakening and Deathbringer from 2018, DC Comics, written by Robert Venditti and penciled by Brian Hitch. That was really a fun review because we were only planning to review Awakening, but mm-hmm. it's one of those where like it's a two-part story. So it's hard to review just one part of the story, but it sort of happened naturally. Like I was reading this in preparation for the episode and I just kept going and then I was like, "Wait, how many issues was I supposed to read?" because <laughs> it just it just kept going and I was interested. Right. And before I knew it, I was like, you know, one or two issues before the end of Deathbringer and I was like well I might as well finish this out and then so we sort of talked about well let's just cover both in the episode Mm -hmm. like it it was really like to get the full story arc you really do have to read both Mm -hmm. Uh, otherwise it's like kind of a cliffhanger like here's part one and then you know what else happens but I thought it was a really good like representation of well obviously I like this one because I kept reading yeah like I, I felt like Awakening got off to a little slow start. Like at first I was like, I don't know if I'm really into this, but then mm-hmm. when I was almost done with it, it I was hooked and I yeah. kept going with it. <laughs> yeah. It, I guess it's a slow burn from the beginning. I was already kind of invested because at this point in my reading, when this story came out, Hawkman had had a few contradictory versions and then kind of just fallen away from being mm. in comics at all for a while. And so the, death metal event that or no i'm sorry it was the metal event which precedes death metal uh that scott snyder did really kind of reintroduced hawkman and then this series was the explanation of like okay this is who he is this Mm -hmm. is his backstory and the revelation that like this basically all versions of him are now now valid was really awesome like i I was really happy with that so Whatever your era of Hawkman is, you can have it represented here mm. because it all exists in continuity. So that was that was really cool. I, I really enjoyed this story, and this was my highest score of the year. Mm-hmm. I gave it a 4.5. So Yeah, it's funny. Like I didn't have any of that context. It was mm-hmm. really just, well, this is another Hawkman story to me. Like, right, I, right. I had seen him on like Justice League Unlimited and a few other places, mm-hmm. like more so, I guess, cameos than anything else. Sure. But this was the first like actual Hawkman comic. And I really enjoyed it, you know, even without all of that additional context. Yeah. So it's kind of neat, I think, in this review for us to approach it from those different aspects, but mm-hmm. come together and say we both, you know, really enjoyed this. Right. And that's that's kind of why I use the like Justice League Unlimited clip in the intro to, you know, Carter mm. saying that he and Shaira were reincarnations and he's known as Hawkman and, and that sort of thing. Because there's not really a whole lot of source material to draw from yeah. in the media. But, you know, after the Black Adam movie came out, like seeing Hawkman, I really have a new appreciation <laughs> for yeah. him, both in this comic and now in that movie. Like he's, he's pretty cool. Yeah, I think so, too. It's a shame that he's one of those characters that never seems able to hold this book down for too long Mm -hmm. because there are a lot of really interesting eras and incarnations. And we got into all of that in the after show because there was so much information to go through. And I think I remember you even saying like, oh, wow, now that I know how confusing his history is, (laughs) I recognize why this story is so important, you know, because it really just rolled it all into one and it's like okay you don't have to worry about which version is valid or not right it so. did really did a lot for hawkman as yeah. a character mm-hmm. yeah well i didn't do much with the editing on this episode but i think it's very notable to say this was actually our first full video episode where we wow. had done a video conference and recorded our faces instead of just our voices i didn't think it was this late into the year it, uh, yeah it was we we i think did a few like 
video presentations, but okay. nothing with like our actual like faces on wow. the conference call. So it really was kind of late into the season that we started doing that. Okay. And here we are now. Yeah. With blood and rage of crimson red, we fill men's souls with darkest dread and twist your minds to pain and hate. We'll burn you all. That is your fate. So Red Lanterns, Blood Brothers. Blood Brothers! From 2013 by DC Comics is our next story, written by Charles Sewell and penciled by Alessandro Vitti. And this is one of the rare instances where you actually rated something higher than me. I think I tend to be a little bit more generous sometimes with my scores. So you actually got a 4.25 and, and a 4.5 for me. So yeah, I don't know why I did that 0.25. Maybe just because kind of like you did before, mm-hmm. I wanted to rate it higher, but I didn't want to quite give it a 4.5. Yeah. So I threw it like sort of in the middle because I, I really like the Red Lanterns and I like the story. But it wasn't necessarily Mm -hmm. like that 4.5 level. This is definitely one of those two where I know not so much right now, but at the time, whenever the story came out, I was like, Charles Sewell is a great writer. And so I went out and I got his Swamp Thing and I got, Mm. you know, some some of his other properties that he was writing. I think he may have done a Green Lantern story as well. So I and in fact, he had a She-Hulk run as well that I went and sought out. So. So uh, this is definitely one where when I initially read this story, which probably was back in 2013, it really influenced me into getting into him as a writer. Mm -hmm. It did the same for me. Like I actually checked out his run on Daredevil because we noted that he was an attorney in New York. Mm -hmm. And it was like, well, that's probably something he'll write very well. It actually (laughs) didn't have as much like lawyery stuff in it than, you know, that I expected. Mm -hmm. But it was actually a really good Daredevil comic. And so what I did was I went out and purchased it. And so this is actually my Christmas gift to you. Ha ha! So there we go. The first trade. Well, that's awesome. So I am definitely hyped to read this. I already have a Daredevil collection going, so uh, very excited. Yeah. Uh, I, I will say, um, if you're looking for him to write the more lawyery stuff, <laughs> he, he does do that in the She-Hulk trades that he does so i could let you borrow those at some point hmm. yeah but red lanterns you know getting away from the oh sorry stuff. yeah sorry yeah that's yeah kind of got off topic there. so but the red lanterns like i really i think i just enjoyed talking about them because mm-hmm. they that's a really cool aspect of like i i was always into i think the green lanterns just thought they were cool yeah and having that expanded universe where there's like all the different like emotional mm-hmm. spectrums and the different kinds of characters was really fun but the red lanterns really weren't the like typical villains they no. you know had their own sort of agenda like they they all just approach situations from different perspectives based on their emotional spectrums mm-hmm. and I, I don't know it just like always resonated with me a whole lot as a story point as somebody who was very frustrated at work this last year <laughs> i think it was very satisfying to read the about these rage guys yeah but uh, i i actually did go to the extra effort of reading the three trades preceding this leading up to it just to kind of remind myself of the context of mm. where we were and charles sewell really did do a great job of just the book had kind of run out of steam with the previous writer where he didn't really have a good direction to go and and what he had kind of chosen to do was like i'm gonna make the bad guys they fight even darker than them (laughs) so that they don't look as dark and charles sewell kind of approached it from more of a like well these people have rage in their heart but like why is that the case Mm -hmm. and and like where are they coming from and what is the reason for it and so 
you know, it's it's kind of a tragic ending, but it was a really nice character arc that we saw for the Ratchet character where he he goes through that journey and actually becoming part of the group kind of heals him from the the trauma that he deal, yeah. dealt with in the past. So it, it, it was just so satisfying to finally, you know, it's like I've been reading about these characters and they have so much potential and finally you get a writer on there that's like, I know what to do with them. Mm-hmm. So And it's not just yeah. like, oh, it's about vengeance or, right. you know, they're angry right. at, at something and so they're just going to like go after it like a blunt mm-hmm. instrument. I mean, they, they do that a little bit, but it's more about like, specific injustice and things that are actually yeah. like wrong versus like, well, somebody murdered my parents and so mm. I need vengeance on every criminal, you know, that, that kind of story. Also, it's really nice just to see Guy Gardner like throw down oh, and, yeah. and beat the crap out of Atrocitus. Yeah, that so. was, and just like take over like, <laughs> oh, oh my, my gosh. gosh. <laughs> I mean, Atrocitus is no slouch. No. Like he overthrew like demigods and all kinds of stuff yeah. to get his powers. But I guess Guy Gardner... He he just has that inside of him, and he it, it was sort of like the Hulk's "I'm always angry" thing. Yeah, like he's true. just like, no, I can I I push these emotions down all the time, but I can access it pretty easily if I need to. <laughs> so, well, I got to be my own Red Lantern during this episode because yes. I actually had a shirt on that was a Red Lantern shirt. I actually did like a little voice changing effect, you know, making us sound really deep for the trailer. We're like the angriest oh. after show you will ever watch and stuff like that. Yeah, that and fun. I remember you having uh, Ismalt behind you. Mm-hmm. Two for this one. I remember yep. that specifically. Use the green screen. Yeah. And I had like a, another promo video that was like my head superimposed over Guy yeah, Gardner. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, check out Red Lanterns, my <laughs> brothers. <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Yeah, that was super fun. I didn't do too much for the episode. I kind of added some like edgy guitar riffs in the music. Mm-hmm. And again, not having a whole lot of source material to pull from, I didn't do too much. Right. I made the banana red, but... I didn't really like actually make it a red lantern, so yeah. I wish I'd put a little more yeah. into it there, but uh, it's you know it's one of those things. Yeah. So yes, we had two She-Hulk stories that we reviewed because I made a mistake and picked the wrong one. And so I had written a whole bunch of notes for time trials and I really liked it. And then you're like, no, we were supposed to review single green female. And I was like, well, I really like this and I don't want to scrap all my notes. What do we do? And we just made it a two-parter. So we reviewed She-Hulk single green female and She-Hulk time trials from 2005 published Mm -hmm. by Marvel, which was written by Dan Slott and penciled by Juan Bobbio. I think it's Bobbio. Bobbio. So one, I mean, it's funny because... Yeah, I probably didn't communicate very well because I was kind of rushing at the last minute to get notes together for this. So I was I was like sitting at my girlfriend's apartment. I wasn't home where I would normally be doing mm-hmm. notes and I was reading digitally even though I own the story. So <laughs> I was just like scrolling the panels on my phone and stuff and like writing down notes and then and and then you messaged me that and so I was probably distracted just by like the dog and the cats and all mm-hmm. that stuff going on around and didn't realize that we miscommunicated but I think it it ended up being better for you guys the listeners because you ended up getting more She-Hulk and and they actually were stories that kind of fit together well mm-hmm. and highlighted different aspects of her character so yeah it was it was fun to do that I mean it was more work than normal but I think it ended up being really good it was kind of nice to have something to sort of compare and contrast for me because I hadn't read any She-Hulk comics Mm -hmm. like I knew who she was but I haven't read you know any solo stories so Mm -hmm. it was nice to have like the two to kind of rate them differently and I think we gave them the same ratings for uh, for we yeah. gave them the same ratings, yes. but we actually like time trials a little bit more than we like mm-hmm. single green female. I think because 
time trials went into more about what makes She-Hulk unique, mm-hmm. whereas Single Green Female, I think, was sort of just like a regular story that it wasn't was, too exciting. Yeah, and it was set up, and it was her being established at the law firm, and, and a lot of those kind of aspects. The Really, the thing that stood out in Single Green Female was her the beginning of her mentorship with Southpaw, the the supervillain teenager. Mm-hmm. And uh but then that paid off in time trials. So yeah, that made us right. enjoy time trials even more. You know, so we you know, three point five for the first one and four for the second one. Well and I it read was... them out of order because I read oh, time trials right. and I'm like, who's a Southpaw person that seems very important? And then I read Single Green Female and I'm like, oh okay now I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that really my biggest takeaway after the fact and you know kind of sitting at the end of the year with it is that the Disney Plus show kind of sucked. I mean, it it just it did not do a good job with the character. And I know you had that quote yeah. from Dan so Slott. So Dan Slott recently. actually like went on record to say I have written, you know, all these She-Hulk comics, I have read all of the She-Hulk comics, and I'm going on record saying that this is the most comic accurate show in the MCU. And I'm just like, "Okay, you know, you're a professional. I'll take your word for it, but I haven't read everything, so I can't say how comic accurate it was, mm-hmm. but I just know the two comics that I did read that, you know, we did in the podcast, I really enjoyed those. That were by really Dan enjoy, Yeah, <laughs> but I didn't really enjoy the, the show. I mean, there were a lot of funny beats to it and yeah. there were moments, like, it's not complete garbage, but there was a lot of it that I... A, a lot of the humor was forced, and mm-hmm. I was really upset by them changing her origin because her origin is really an early display of how she already was a hero because she takes a bullet for somebody else and then needs a blood transfusion from Bruce. And that's what, you know, causes her to become Mm -hmm. She-Hulk in the comic books. So in the show, they just get injured in like a car accident and he bleeds on her. And that's, that's that basically is it. So there was no element of like her choosing to do something heroic or put her life on the line for somebody else. And I think that really robs her character of something that makes her great. Yeah. So it was kind of funny though how they did the twist of at the law firm she actually they wanted her for She Hulk mm-hmm. instead of yeah. Jennifer Walters. Whereas in the comic it was the inverse. They wanted Jennifer Walters yeah. and they're like, We don't want to see you as She Hulk ever. So that was kind of fun and mm-hmm. like the the like social media aspect of having like right. She Hulk being a popular person in the media, but you know, who is Jennifer Walters? Like they right. they did do a lot of that struggle of like, well, who am I really and which one is more important and yeah and things like that. But it was just I don't know that it wasn't serious enough, but it was just like way too comedy. It it felt it felt almost dumbed down from yeah. what what like a uh, dumb reality show or we something. We would expect from the comics. I I think the the moment that was funniest to me was when she had to take it to court to get the name She Hulk back. <laughs> yeah. And so the the way she could prove that like she owned that name and was using it actively was to trot out all the bad boyfriends that she'd had and like bring funny. them in as witnesses. So that was actually really funny. Uh, there there were moments like that. I mean, the, the way they ended the show was definitely unique as well mm-hmm. to that character where they kind of had her go in and be like, what, this isn't the ending of my show. No, this isn't what we're doing. Yeah. This is what you do for every other show. We're not doing it. And uh, <laughs> but, but I did feel like the fourth wall breaking in the comics is a little bit more subtle, whereas in the show it almost felt like they were explaining what was going on or talking down to the audience a little yeah. bit. And I really didn't care for that. So the Wong cameos were funny. And yeah, like his, his now yeah. girlfriend, I guess. Like, oh, Wongers, let's watch this movie. What's <laughs> happening? And that that was all like really funny. I, you know, maybe it wasn't like the the 
the best, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. comic adaptation, but it, it was hilarious. Yeah, lot, it was so it was funny. There, there were a lot of good points to it mm-hmm. as well. But for anybody keeping tabs on the podcast, we never did and probably never will resolve the difference between saying lawyer and lawyer. Because, as we all know, you only say lawyer if you have a southern drawl. So it's, <laughs> oh, i got to go hire me a lawyer. Because I'm known for having a southern drawl. But you don't have a southern drawl. I, I so do. you should say lawyer because that's what... People who don't have a southern drawl. I say. do live in southern Illinois, <laughs> but you are way further in the south than me, so yes. I don't know what happened there. Yeah. I moved. That's what happened. <laughs> but you know, to touch on the music and and the Banana Man and that mm-hmm. sort of thing, I didn't do a whole lot with this one either. I just recolored the banana mascot green and purple, so that was kind of lame and i sort of wish i hadn't done that but the episode itself since it was a video episode i used a courtroom as a background yeah i had like the suit on and then i had like a like a vest on for the after show and so that was really fun to like sort of dress up Mm -hmm. and i think that's when i started doing that like in the spidey joe's one shots as well is like actually wearing something you know, related to the comic that I'm reviewing yeah. and having the green screen and that sort of thing. So that that was a lot of fun. I enjoyed doing it. It's that. fun to see you get into it like that. It's just <laughs> I wondered if you were hot the entire time. You're sitting there in Florida like wearing a full suit. Yeah. Or at least I guess if we only see like your torso, you just have to wear the jacket. Well, but still. I was indoors. I had air conditioning. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Ninja Turtles micro series from 2012 by IDW was really interesting. I think this was our biggest difference of opinion on anything mm-hmm. all year because we ranked the stories completely differently. But uh, yeah. because this has a different artist each issue, uh, it was written by Brian Lynch with artwork by Franco Uru, Andy Kuhn, Valero Skiti, and Ross Campbell. And that, <laughs> sorry, that name always stops me up. But I ended up ranking them Leo, Donnie, Mike, Raph, and you ranked them Mikey, Raph, Leo, Donnie. Mm-hmm. So we almost reversed the order of our opinions about these. Yeah. And it was funny, too, because it was like everything that you liked, I think, about the Donnie story that mm-hmm. made it number two for you was everything that I didn't like about it and why right. I rated it number four. Because right. you're like, oh, they included this nerd stuff and they did this and that. And I'm like, the nerd stuff was not accurate <laughs> and it was not correct. <laughs> and this was wrong. And I just didn't like it. It was yeah, fake yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. But I, I think Leo's was was cool just because you really got to see his leadership and him throwing mm-hmm. down and I remember him fighting like 30 ninjas or something like yeah. that and it was I, I felt like tonally that fit the character the most out of all of them so and I don't think the Mikey story was bad mm-hmm. either it just didn't feel like it had as much substance to me so I ended up ranking it lower whereas I think you were more like this was just really fun yeah I, it was a nice caper you well know? I think so, for the Leo story I said it was more stock whereas the Mikey story yeah. there was more going on with it and you said mm-hmm. the Mikey story was very stock and there was more going on with right Leo. So right we right. definitely just had completely differences in a, opinion which I think was kind of yeah good for us because it usually is. we're very similar minded that it way. is that's better for discussion for sure yeah well, and this was an interesting episode, too, because we had four issues that we went to review, which is not a lot, mm-hmm. but they were completely different issues where they were focused on different characters and different things going on. So it was sort of like a lot to talk about. Right. And so I think we just did ended up going over each issue like one at a time and then ranking yeah. them that way. But there's a lot more to the micro series. Like there's 
issues of, or, or stories with like April and Splinter mm-hmm. and Shredder and, and so on. And, and the I little robot guy, those. I forget his name, but he had a one shot too. Mm. Yeah, this this was fun. And, and like just, you know, the turtle nostalgia, I think, was fun for us as well. Like I had yeah. the turtle shirt on and I was like, we like comics because they have turtle power. And that was, yeah, like doing the, the mock-up. I actually released some videos on TikTok where I did like remixes of the oh, Turtles theme. Nice. And like I, I took the video and I took like an old CRT TV mm-hmm. and I added like the scan line effect on it. And I did a lot of media stuff, I think, building up to this one. I think I had a lot of time before we recorded. Yeah, you must have. So that was <laughs> that was a lot of fun. And I worked really hard on the Banana Man to make him look like a Ninja Turtle. And I took the arms that were like super buff <laughs> And it actually looked really cool. Like it I th- did look cool. I thought about getting a T-shirt with that on it because it was yeah. really neat. But it makes the She-Hulk one look so pale in comparison because that was just a recolor. So she's got these like green wire thin arms. Yeah. And then you see the turtle episode and you see this like, like big Rawr! buff ninja turtle. So that yeah, really She-Hulk should have been the big buff one. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but it, it was also really fun going through the Calabunga collection together and playing those yeah, games. Yeah, for and our after show. I mean, if you guys haven't seen that, you can check it out on YouTube. But it, it was neat going back to that earlier time of like mm-hmm. brawlers being the big thing. So And revisiting the first NES game and actually being able to beat it with all the... <laughs> Like saving and rewinding and stuff. Rewind is your friend, everybody. That's so great for classic (laughs) games. It really is. Ah, Flaming Carrot, number 16 from 1984, along with Mystery Men from 1999. The comic was published by Dark Horse Entertainment, so we finally got away from all the Marvel and DC Mm -hmm. that we were reviewing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this was also written and drawn by the same person, Bob Burden. So that was kind of an interesting, I think, departure as well as having the same writer and artist for a comic. But I don't know, like... We had seen Mystery Men when it first came out, seen it several times Mm -hmm. uh, since 1999. And, you know, I think it was on our sort of bucket list to do this for many, many years to go back and read the comic that it originated from. And I got to say, I was kind of (laughs) disappointed. And it might have (laughs) been just because it was 1984. So it's like Mm -hmm. a completely different era. I mean, we were two years old at the time that this came out. Well, and I I think this was like very much a kind of like a self-published thing that eventually became yeah. big enough to to move to a publisher because I think the original publisher was like Renegade Press or something like that yeah. and then Dark Horse picked up the license later and they they ran with it mm. so I have to say this is probably my biggest regret of the year because <laughs> looking back I really feel like maybe I was a little too generous with my score on it giving it a three yeah um I know that at the time I was kind of taking into context the time that it came out and the fact that like, okay, well, it's not trying to be anything other than just jokes. And so maybe that's okay for it to just be that, but there really wasn't a lot of depth there. And Mm -hmm. I even heard some feedback from a few of our listeners that like, that one wasn't really much of a story. And so once I started to think about it after our review, I'm like, yeah, it wasn't, it didn't really have a lot going on narratively and Maybe it just moving from gag to gag wasn't quite enough to keep us engaged. I almost wonder if we had picked a bigger chunk of the comics than Mm. just one issue to review, if maybe we would have had more to dig into. But uh, this was fun for me because I actually got to draw some promo art of the flaming carrot chasing the banana man. 
So that was, you know, once I saw what his character design was, I was like, oh, I've got to draw this guy. He's so weird. Well, and that so, was like a really cool collaboration because you did the yeah. like pencils and the, the ink. And then mm-hmm. I took it and did like digital coloring. But I didn't just color it. I actually took like images right. from the Internet, sort of like the, the AI art does nowadays. Yeah. But like I, I took the like a carrot and then I sort of resized it to fit that. <laughs> and so it actually has like the dimension and depth and everything of like an actual vegetable. And the texture of a carrot. Yes. <laughs> so but it, it turned out really good. Like I yeah. think the art for that was like our best for yeah, it was definitely really since really we started. We should do some more of that. Yeah, we should we, do that, man. It just takes sure. a lot of time to do. Yeah, it's, it's so time consuming to... Anytime, like I, I go in and I'm actually trying to proportion something properly, as as proportioned as a man with a carrot for a head can mm-hmm. be, uh, it it just the behind the scenes work of before you're doing the the final pencils and doing the yeah. actual layout is very time consuming. So that's why I haven't been doing it. But I'm I'm trying to transition my life into a period where work doesn't have as much of a hold on me so that I will have more time for creativity. And that's, that's really one of my goals for the podcast in the next year. So stay away from Hitler's feet, everybody. Yes. I I think that was my second biggest takeaway from this comic was, uh, (laughs) you know, Hitler's feet being uh, an actual nemesis. I I hadn't (laughs) seen that before, but also having Mr. Furious actually be effective and have some semblance of superpowers. I, you know, I get that like Ben Stiller did that on purpose because he thought it would be funnier, Mm -hmm. but it was also neat to see that character like actually, yes, he actually can do something uh, in the comic versus the the movie. And it was, I mean, honestly, it was just so fun to go back and watch the movie. Oh, yeah. After, I mean, I mean, I think you said something about like, I think I enjoyed it more now than I did then even. And and it is like maybe it just came out at the wrong time because mm. we audiences now are super familiar with the the superhero genre and all yeah. the trappings that come with that. And this was very much mocking a lot of that. But if you didn't have that context in 1999 when it came out, then a lot of the jokes were going to be, mm-hmm. you know, wasn't as popular then. Well, and yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. And like I included a ton of quotes and, and clips mm-hmm. from the movie in the after show because we were just quoting the heck out of it. We were. like we knew those <laughs> quotes since 1999. And then after mm-hmm. rewatching it again, it was just like even more so. But, you know, another thing with the movie, too, is like the special effects. Like I didn't remember them being so grandiose, but they really just like yes. made the city look huge. And there was all this detail and they really mm-hmm. didn't need to do that. You know, nowadays, I think with CGI, it would mm-hmm. have been fine and it wouldn't have cost as much. But I think that's what really put the nail in the coffin back then was they probably spent a lot of money on effects that really didn't do anything for the movie. Yeah, it's it's really the point of that movie is the comedy. And they put a lot of effort into the effects and having these sweeping shots of the city. And mm-hmm. it looked like a big budget Batman movie from the 90s, which... <laughs> Uh, maybe wasn't entirely necessary. Yeah. So. Fantastic Four Solve Everything from 2009, published by Marvel, was written by Jonathan Hickman and penciled by Dale Eaglesham. And this is definitely one where I was a full number higher than you. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think that's because I can't read Fantastic Four comics without doing it from the fan perspective. <laughs> I know all the continuity. I know all the stuff that came before. And so they're not really going to throw anything at me that I don't understand or that I'm like, oh, what are they referring to? Mm-hmm. Whereas I, I, my memory of it is that the last half of this was really mired in continuity stuff that you were just like, 
what yeah. is this? So well, and like the story itself, like the Council of Reeds and everything, mm-hmm. like that that was neat and it had some sort of unique aspects to it. But I think overall, it just didn't really like grab me to where oh, this is a mm-hmm. really you know cool story. And you know, also seeing it from my perspective, like not from two thousand nine when it came out, but from you know now and seeing sure. the Council of Wells on the Flash and stuff like that, it didn't seem as unique because I had seen it elsewhere, even though right. It was, specific to Reed Richards but I did mm. like the twist which was you know Reed basically gave everything up because he was devoted to his family mm-hmm. whereas the rest of the Reeds from the other universes they they're like you have to sacrifice your family for this because either they're yeah. gonna give you up or you're just not gonna have enough time for them so you might as well just do it now mm. and he thinks about it and he's like no I'm I'm not doing that I'm gonna seal this door and I'm not going yeah back. so that was kind of cool but I think it's one of those like from an audience perspective we wanted to see more of what he he would do on the council of reeds so it was sure. almost like kind of unfortunate that he made that decision because now it's not <laughs> as exciting that was an exciting yeah. decision it made sense for him as a character though yeah. and and i the the council of reeds do come back in the book because uh, valeria their daughter ends up contacting mm. them at one point and so that turns into a whole story thread that unravels but yeah. this really is the first trade in like a 50 or 60 issue run by hickman so it it sets up a lot of story beats, and I think that my enjoyment of it was definitely enhanced knowing where it's going to go down the road. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it makes sense that I liked it more than you. Yeah. <laughs> and I think this is a, a point in like the season two where we started to do that stuff where, hey, let's choose something that we have totally different perspectives yeah. on and see where we fall on it. Because I think this this is like sort of the opposite of like the near episode, which mm-hmm. we'll talk about a little bit mm-hmm. later, where like I came into it with perspective and you didn't. And on right. this one, you came into it with perspective that, you know, I didn't. Right. I mean, obviously, I know about the Fantastic Four. I mean, they're so old and sure. they have ties with Spider-Man and everything like mm-hmm. that. Like, But I, you know, haven't really read like runs of their comics specifically. Right. But I do have not really related oh. to, you know, other things, but definitely related to Fantastic Four. We have the overthrow of doom that was on sale at one point that i sent you a screenshot of and you're like i don't have that so you have it now nice oh dude and it's hardback too and it's still shrink wrapped oh sweet fantastic four 192 to 200 oh lynn wine okay cool so uh yeah that's right in the gap in my collection uh most of the george perez stuff precedes this and is kind of in the 180s and then I think John Byrne would take over after this, but there aren't a lot of trades that collect the stuff in between there. So this is awesome. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Thanks. Another Hawkman! <laughs> <laughs> so this was about the Justice Society of America, but it also included Hawkman. Uh, but it was called Black Rain from 2007, published by DC Comics, which was written by Jeff Johns, penciled by Don Kramer for the JSA issues, and it was penciled by Rags Morales for the <laughs> Hawkman issues. Everything has to be grandiose when you talk about Hawkman! <laughs> but speaking of Hawkman, his brutality was on another level in this comic, and I think that's yeah. what really stood out to me more mm. than anything, whereas he's just like, oh, you're holding a detonator? Okay, well, off goes your hand, like, no problem. <laughs> he was just, like, so unhinged in this. Yeah, so the cool thing is that 
this story interested me enough that I was like, I really do want to read the context leading up to it. So I went back and read all, you know, 30 or whatever issues leading up to this point, and I think finished out all of Jeff John's run as well. Hmm. But basically what had happened was Shaira or Kendra, I can't remember which one it was in this, I think it was Kendra, was was her name in this one had reincarnated and this version of her was like i'm not really interested in being in love with you i'm not really interested in us moving forward with that relationship and they actually had a lot of really major disagreements where he really wanted to rekindle things and she Hmm. didn't and she was like i'll be hot girl and help you out on you know fighting crime but I don't want to see you in my personal life and none of that stuff. And so he was taking it really hard Mm. and had been through fighting all these supervillains. And there was even one that like possessed him for a while and and all this stuff had gone on. And so he'd been through a lot of like trauma and personal turmoil Mm -hmm. leading up to this story. And so when you get here, he had kind of just made himself hard where he's like, well, I don't feel anything and I'm just going to get the job done. And so unfortunately, because he was at that place in his character that made him a lot more brutal. And that actually helped the JSA to escalate things in Kondok a lot more than was necessary. Mm-hmm. So it was really interesting how now knowing all of that context, the story really does dovetail into Black Rain really nicely where it's like, okay, this was clearly planned. He clearly, <laughs> like Jeff Johns clearly knew where he was going to end up with these characters yeah. and he'd been setting it up for issues beforehand. So that actually made me like this story even more, you know, having read all that background. Yeah, ha- actually having a reason and you're not just mm-hmm. like, well, they obviously wrote Hawkman wrong. Right. Like, no, there, there's actually, you know, something going on with that. Yeah. So the, the movie counterpart was definitely not like that at all. But again, not mm-hmm. having the context of the runs up until that point, it makes sure. sense that they didn't go the the same direction. But yeah, I remember really liking this one and definitely liking the movie. Mm-hmm. And it was like fun to really get into it. And it wasn't, you know, it, it was similar, but it was very different. But mm-hmm. the, like a lot of the same core issues happened in both. But there was some like, well, the comic did this better, but the movie did this right, better. Right. And so it was really neat to compare the two because they both did things well in their own respect mm-hmm. versus like, you know, the comic being better and the movie sucking or the yeah. movie being great. But the original comic was not that great. This was a nice nice balance but unfortunately i don't know that we're going to see too much of where it goes from here because we had all this hype we had dwayne johnson being like this is the next era of the dceu and we're going to do all this great stuff and we're like okay well we'll see i mean you haven't really been involved but right okay and <laughs> then we saw the movie and he's like okay this is a great movie like yeah. this is one of the best ones that we've seen so i'm on board let's go dwayne right. johnson let's, let's see where we it. go and then the announcements come well henry cavill will no longer be playing Superman, and then Black Adam uh, sequel will not be a main part of the next phase of the DCEU, and it may be in there somewhere, but it might be something completely different. Like, right. I like James Gunn's work, and I don't have anything against it, mm-hmm. but looking at from the outside and seeing all these things that are happening, it's kind of frightening. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit disconcerting to be like, well, it, it kind of felt like we were moving in a good direction, and even if they weren't planning on moving forward with the core Justice League cast much anymore, we could we introduced the Justice Society in mm-hmm. this movie, so they really could have gone just with run that. with them. I mean, I mean, uh, Pierce Brosnan as Doctor Fate was oh, awesome. That was awesome. They really went to great lengths to make his him be visually different than Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. He felt like his own unique character, 
And, uh, you know, seeing a live-action Hawkman was just a huge fan moment for me as well, where I was like, finally, he looks good. Like, we saw him on Legends of Tomorrow. The effects were not great. And he was kind of a dork, and I don't know. Like, he just didn't seem that interesting. And, uh, you know, we've seen him in animation and stuff, too, but they never really seem to have nailed the character. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's really disappointing to have this and be, like, on the cusp of, like, okay, let's do a solo Hawkman movie now or something like that. And it's like, yeah. well, all this stuff is just getting wiped out. So That's the know. thing is, like, the, the DC Cinematic Universe can't really get mm -hmm. any traction because we keep starting over. And at some point, you yeah. need to have some consistency and just move forward. And I that's mean, my biggest fear is that they're going to try to turn this into the MCU. Like what Marvel's doing yeah. is great and it works for them, but don't be a carbon copy right. of what they're doing just because it works. DC has a great number of characters that can stand yeah. on their own and they can almost be their own universes. Like we said mm -hmm. before, like with the green lanterns and, and things like that. Yeah. So you don't have to make one big connected universe. You can have the green lantern universe mm -hmm. and you can have the, you know, green arrow and maybe the, the street level yeah. vigilante universe and another one. And they can be like loosely connected kind of like mm -hmm. they did with Netflix, Marvel, you know, back right, in the day, right. they're like, well, we're in the same universe, but we're just, you know, acknowledging that and that's it. We're not actually going to cross over or do anything, you know, as part of right. the movies. So they can still have their own thing and have it be related, but I, I don't know. We'll we'll see where they go. Yeah, we'll see where it goes. Uh, movies that haven't been canceled so far. Supposedly Aquaman 2 is done filming, so mm -hmm. I guess maybe that's still going to come out. Maybe The Flash is still going to come out. That's That seems iffier. Yeah. And Blue Beetle has not been canceled yet. In fact, they've been posting, like, like screenshots of just like the poster and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, we'll see where it goes. Um, I was a lot more excited a couple months ago uh, for the future of the movies yeah. than I am now though. So kind of sorry scary. to say, well, for the podcast, uh, mm -hmm. switching gears to that, this episode was actually the first launch of our .com website and the Amazon store. Oh, that's right. So that's kind of cool. Um, but then also we had sort of an editing issue with this one where we were going back and making tweaks to the audio and I made so many tweaks that I didn't have the like original version that I started tweaking. And so by the time we got done, we're just like, we had to scrap it. And so what I ended up posting on YouTube was an audio only version like we used to do before mm -hmm. we started doing the video episodes, which really sucked because I had this cool like Condoc background behind me <laughs> that I was sitting, but I was also sitting in a beach chair. So it looked a little weird because it was like blue behind me. So that, that was kind of an experiment to like get comfy during the, the episode. So oh. some things that you missed out on by not seeing the video version of that one. Yeah. <laughs> Published by Wildstorm Comics and written by Ricardo Sanchez, penciled by Carlos Thanda, Popman, and Eduardo Nunez, was our most divisive score. Yeah, what did you rate this? What did you rate it? Tell me. I gave it a two. Oh. <laughs> and you gave it a four. So that was, we have never had a, uh, a rating disagreement that yeah. big before. this one was really context though mm -hmm. because like you came into it knowing absolutely nothing mm -hmm. and reading the comic and being like okay this is kind of weird what exactly is going on i don't get it and for me like i had played this you know 40 50 hour game and beat it and platinum did and had moved right. on from it and i was like oh this is cool you know this is a neat little side adventure i get to mm -hmm. see a little bit more of the characters like man i'll give this a four because it was written really well and it fits the game maybe i'd 
give it a five if it had some of the you know complaints resolved that you know you had talked yeah. about. Yeah, it doesn't give you any context, and they could have went some better directions with it. Maybe I would have you know given out my first five, and you're like, oh my gosh, like really for this thing I gave it a two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. I have now played the game, and I have now platinumed the game, and I actually liked it so well, I would probably say it's the best game I played in 2022. So, Near Replicant is excellent. The story is excellent. Mm. The gameplay is excellent. It does all kinds of things that are creative and, and different than anything else I've ever played. It's a really unique experience. And, I mean, if there's a genre of gaming you like, it's probably in there somewhere. I mean, mm -hmm. they, they it actually switches genres. There's even a part where it's like a first-person rail shooter, yeah. believe it or not. So, yeah, I mean, this is the one that, looking back, I would change my rating 100% the most. Because the story is so rich, the characters are so good, and what the comic book did was it really just felt like a snapshot in time of an adventure that we didn't see in the game. Mm -hmm. It fit right in perfectly with the events of it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it really felt cohesive with the kind of storytelling they were doing in that world. And if anything, it made me wish that the game adopted some of the comic ideas. Like the villain Adler that's introduced in the first mm -hmm. issue, I think would have fit right in with the game, and they could have had a quest that centered on him or something, and that would have really felt natural and not really detracted. It would have only added to it. So, But looking at it with no context, and also as, you know, I think I was viewing it from the perception of this is a promotional material intended to sell yeah. this product, but it doesn't give me enough information about this product for me to get as invested as maybe I need to be. But it's really a case of just if, if you've got the context, it's really excellent, and if you don't, Maybe you're not going to, you know, it's not going to resonate with you as much. But uh, I have totally flipped my opinion on the comic book now, you mm -hmm. know, because if, if anything, it would have been nice to have had the other core uh, party member that you have in the game, Emil, have a story. But I feel like they didn't do that because some of the events surrounding him and what he is and who he is are very much a spoiler. So mm -hmm. I, I feel like that's maybe why they didn't include him in the comic at all, because he's he's somebody that comes in maybe halfway through the game and you don't really understand who he is and what he's about until, you know, you get yeah. to that point. So I can understand them not wanting to challenge that reveal. But mm -hmm. um, the music in the game was really excellent, too. I mean, it's right up there with the, the great video game scores that we have liked from for years and years and years, like yeah. the stuff from Nobuo Umatsu and... And, you know, whoever else are our, our favorites, Hitoshi Sakamoto. And and uh, so I, I just, every aspect of the game was excellent. Mm -hmm. I, I haven't played something that felt that polished or finished or complete as a story in a really long time. So, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm really glad that I went back and experienced the game. And, and I'm glad that we did it the way we did, too, because... Mm -hmm. It, it did give me the actual perspective of the consumer going into this because it was released before the game. It was something that they were trying to do to generate hype in the United States, and I don't know that it succeeds on that level, but if you're a fan of the series, it 100% succeeds. Yeah, yeah so, like if I had said, oh, I play this really cool game, here, mm, read this comic, and it'll get your juices flowing for right. playing this game, you would have been like... Uh, okay. Right, like I don't know, I don't know that that would have convinced me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but doing it so. the other way and being like, "Oh, I just beat Near Replicant. It was so much fun." Mm -hmm. Well, here, Mike, read this comic, yeah, and you get a little more enjoyment. You'd be like, "Oh, what a sweet comic!" Yeah, and that yeah. that was the sort of you know thing that we had going on there. But it's funny too because like so after that, 
I actually bought the PS3 version mm-hmm. from 2010 and am like, you know, halfway through playing that now. Haven't quite finished it. But uh, so in the comic, we have the the like older adult version of Nier, which is not his name, but it's easier to call him that right. than the protagonist. So we have the older adult version who has his daughter that he's watching mm-hmm. out for. And so you read the comic first and you're like, well, right. this is my version. And I'm like, well, in yeah. Nier Replicant, he's actually a kid and it's his sister that he's looking out for and you're like well that's weird he'll always be you know an adult to me <laughs> so then we flip-flop because you played yeah. the game and so now you're used to the younger protagonist mm-hmm. with the sister and so i've been playing the ps3 version which has the older guy and has his daughter yeah and it's really cool to see the differences because it really is a different perspective because mm-hmm. it's it Originally, I thought it was just, oh, you know, daughter versus sister. So you just replace some words and it's the same thing. But it's really different. Like the adult version of Nier is a lot more aggressive. He's a lot more loud. And even the soundtrack, there's a lot more drum beats to it. It's a little more kind of tribal in, Mm -hmm. in that respect. So it's really a more aggressive game. And it's so funny to look at it and go, so this is what they thought people in like the U.S. and, and I think Europe yeah. as well. Like, well, you guys will like this version better. But the replicant version with the kid and, you know, that's yeah. more Japanese. We're going to keep that for us. But the we're going to add more drum beats and we're going to make it sound, mm-hmm. you know, a little more aggressive like people in the U.S. are or something. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, it is. It is kind of an interesting look into how another culture views us. Yeah. You know, to, to see that. So. That's kind of interesting as well. But yeah, yeah, it's funny how much I I kind of was married to that idea of that being the main character mm-hmm. and then going into the game and being like, wait, he's not there. You know, so <laughs> except in the DLC. Yeah, except in the DLC where you do get Which to play in the him. PS3 so. version in the DLC, you play as the younger protagonist, but he <laughs> sounds Japanese versus an American right, voice actor. Right. So that was kind of funny to to see as well. But going back to the music, like, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the music is just so wonderful. And, like, I've since got, like, the orchestrated versions and yeah. uh, pre-ordered, like, the Grimoire that's coming out, like, in, mm. I think, March or April of next year. Or actually this year now, because it's 2023. It's 2023, everybody. Yeah. So, but with the music, like, I really had a lot of fun, like, sort of integrating the music into the episode. Like, I did the intro theme. Mm -hmm. I took, actually, the the ending theme of the game and put that into the outro for the episode. Right. And I think we actually talk about the music for a little while. Uh, Maybe it was the after show, and I added some, like, musical clips of various different things that we talked about. Because there's, like, a lot of appearances of Nier in other media, and there was, like, a Mm. crossover with FF14. And there's this, like, really beautiful version that melds, like, Nier and the Final Fantasy theme together. That's just, like, really, really cool. So that was fun. But it was another one of those where you're like, oh, this music's interesting, but I don't really know it. So you kind of gloss over it. Yeah, well, I didn't have the connection to it then that I do now. Right. So... So and and that's with everything. I mean, once you, you know, we've talked a lot about context and a lot mm-hmm. of these things and and comic books a lot of times do require context or if they don't require it, they're enhanced by it. Yeah. So and I think that's our our biggest takeaway from just doing this podcast in general yeah. is like you know, it, it's cool to see things as a snapshot out of time and just sort of see what you think about them. Mm-hmm. But then actually going to get that context and learning about it and doing the research mm-hmm. is the most enjoyable part of it. Yeah, it is a lot of fun. I mean, I mean, uh, that's probably the nerdiest thing that, that we could <laughs> say is like we love researching, but it really is fun to dive into these characters' histories because mm-hmm. a lot of them have been around for so long. Yep.
And last but not least, Hawk and Dove, Ghosts and Demons from 1988, published by DC Comics, written by Barbara and Carl Kessel, who were married at the time but are no longer, and penciled by... <laughs> the notorious Rob Liefeld. They have since divorced. Since divorced. I still don't... <laughs> doesn't matter, but it was just kind of a weird thing that I couldn't find. But so this was another, you know, context kind of thing where I had seen the Titan show, you had read the comics, and then mm. we were sort of approaching it from different perspectives. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't necessarily married to the, I, I had since divorced from the Hawk and Dove <laughs> in the Titans yeah. show because I already knew they weren't that comic accurate and they weren't really that great of people anyway, mm -hmm. which is kind of a theme in that show where it's not that they're like bad people, it's just that... Well, but it's kind of like an icky, like, why are we rooting for these yeah, people, you know? That that kind of thing. So just because they have, like, all this trauma and, and everything doesn't make what they do right, necessarily. Right. But getting into the comic was really neat. And also getting into the history of, you know, what kind of, how they got their names and where they started off mm -hmm. with. And having, you know, so early in their history where you have one character who is that superhero identity and then changing to another one that's been that way since the last, like, you yeah. Know, almost 30 years. Yeah, exactly. It's crazy. So that was interesting to learn, too. Yeah, I really enjoyed rereading it and taking a look back at it. I think I'm happy with the, the 3.5 that I gave it, and I think mm -hmm. I kind of talked you into that extra point five <laughs> at the end because you were going to settle on a 3. That but Babylon 5 reference just really sold it for me. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was, that was one of the things that really stuck out to me that I didn't remember from my previous read-through was that they were really implying that, okay, you're superheroes and you got these powers, but you're being manipulated by somebody, mm -hmm. and that may not necessarily be a good thing. So um, I know Nate, who's one of our listeners, was saying that he was more excited by this story because he knows where it's leading to. So that, mm -hmm. again, kind of ties into our discussion from earlier where it's like, well, yeah, context really really helps. So when you know where it's going to end up down the road, maybe a lot of these things are going to pay off in Hawk and Dove Volume yeah, 3. Yeah, you can pick up on know? a lot of foreshadowing mm -hmm. and things like, oh, I know where this is going, you know, that kind of thing, whereas right. it would just go right over my head and I'd be like, okay, so, yeah. so what? Yeah, but it, it was really fun to look back at that, um, just being a fan of the characters and uh, I like I showed on the video episode, I do have the, the original stuff by Ditko and really enjoyed that as well. But Don Granger really is just, she's Dove for mm. most people. I mean, that's... Don, D-A-W-N, yes, not D -A -W -N, Don, D-O-N, because they sound similar. Yeah, and, and why they had to have a name that sounds exactly the same, I don't know. Don that, and Don. That has to be intentional, but... Uh, See, that would be a part where you'd want to pronounce the W like Don. 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 We have Don, Don, get Don, in the car. and Don. Don, <laughs> Don. But she's not from Jersey, though. Oh, that's true. So uh, <laughs> I, I did look this up, and apparently, because we had discussion about the accent, would she have an English oh, yeah. accent? And I think the consensus is no, <laughs> because she has done most of her studying in the United States, mm -hmm. even though she is from London originally. So yeah. she is British. She is a you know British citizen, all of that, but she's done most of her schooling here in the States. So I guess it does make sense that she was able to cover up her identity a little mm -hmm. bit more. I just, to me, it was funny, the idea of them being him being like, who's Who Dove? And her yeah. being like, hello, I'm Dove. And, and then, hello, oh, it's I'm not Don me. Granger. <laughs> It's not me. I'm not Dove. Mm. <laughs> my my English accent is a little bit. Yeah, we we apologize for that. It's a little bit. Uh, it's all just pulled from Harry Potter. I'm sorry. Mm. <laughs> You're a wizard, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
So, and the I I liked your hawk version of uh, the Banana Man uh, that you, you know, did. It, it turned out okay. I think I still used it in the in the beginning of the episode, mm-hmm. but I didn't like put it front and center. It was okay, but then I was like, I don't want to make a Dove version. It was just too much. <laughs> so I just had him, and I was like, well, you can't have Hawk without Dove. Right. So I just, I think, used a, a like a clip from the comic that I cut oh, out and sure. threw on there. Well, it's funny. One thing that I remember that we talked about after we stopped recording, but we didn't talk about <laughs> on air, uh, was, and we didn't discuss this in the episode at all, those big wing things that are coming out oh, of yeah. Hawk's shoulders actually have skin in them Ooh. and they're they're like solid so that's not just like a cape or like some piece of cloth that's connected to him he actually grows these like blade things out of his back whenever he transforms Gross. why that is i have no idea but that is something that they later reveal in the comics and it's really weird so that would be your first <laughs> clue that the lords of order are not necessarily all above board like hey i get to transform into a superhero it's pretty cool but uh yeah some skin comes out of my back and turns into <laughs> giant blades so uh yeah i don't know you should probably have that looked at <laughs> you can't you'll give away your secret identity oh, true. comics so that's everything that we covered in season two. Yeah. Overall, I'm pretty happy with the variety of stuff that we were able to mm-hmm. cover. And we really hit a lot more episodes than we did in the first year. And they were all yeah. full reviews, too, which I think is, is more what we're going for. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. We had a nice split between Marvel and DC. Mm-hmm. We reviewed seven each, although technically it was six with Marvel because like She-Hulk was oh. a two-parter from the same character. Yeah. So, But they were separate you know, storylines. So we counted them separately mm-hmm. as like separate uh, episodes, but we only picked up five that were of the non big two, uh, mm-hmm. two from Wildstorm, two from dark horse and one from IDW. So I don't know if we'll focus more on those in season three or, or not, but yeah, I don't know. we, you know, want to make sure that we're sort of all inclusive of, you know, we don't just focus on Marvel and DC, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of good comics out there that, you know, don't necessarily fall into those two, you know, categories. Well, and it's just limiting to be like, we only do this one thing. So it's nice to be able to branch out a little bit. Yeah. So. Well, and most of our reviews, too, that we uh, looked at, they were published between 2000 and 2020, with Mm. only four that were published before 2000. So do you think that we did that because, you know, comics are generally more relatable from this era? Or would you like to review more like classics in the next season? I go back and forth on that a little bit because I like looking at early years of some characters, but they tend to be the ones that I really, really like. Mm. So it really just depends on what it is. Uh, Like Hawk and Dove, which we just talked about, like their early stuff is really interesting because it's a lot more politically charged, which I think we talked about in the episode. There's a lot of discourse between them on them having different opinions on how to deal with things. And then you talked about the Vietnam Mm. War and how that climate existed. So... Yeah, I don't know. There are a few things out there that are older stories that I would like to eventually cover. Nova is probably one of those where I feel like we can go back a little bit further and it'd be fine. But it's a lot of times the problem is the availability of those comics is more expensive. And also, mm. a lot of times, you'll if you do get an affordable copy of it, it's like in black and white. So you're yeah. not getting like the full experience of it. But I think it would be interesting maybe once or twice a year even to do like a... Secret Origins episode or something Mm. like that where we talk about, like, here's a character that we like, here's the early incarnation of them or something Mm. like that. And that that might be a fun 
just kind of like side thing to do. Or maybe like pick something short that's from their mm-hmm. origin and then something that's super recent and sort of compare the two and yeah. say, well, this is where the character has grown or changed mm. or been retconned over the years. Yeah, I don't I don't think that we necessarily have a bias against doing stuff that's older. It's just... This is kind of just what we picked. Yeah, this is kind of just what, what we've landed on for whatever yeah. reason. So Well, and one thing I've been wondering too is we didn't give out any fives this year. And I don't know that we're necessarily clear on like what what really makes a comic like what would you actually rate? Is there anything that you would actually give a five out of five to? I've thought about this a lot and I still haven't really landed <laughs> on a satisfactory answer. But I think it's almost got to be something that's like genre defining that like changed the landscape of comics before and after or something like that, because a five is a perfect score. So mm-hmm. that almost has to be like, well, this there's nothing wrong with this whatsoever it's you know as satisfying as it can be yeah but it might be useful for us to come up with some sort of like rating criteria to Mm. see if like okay does it check all of these boxes yeah and then it can be eligible to be a five maybe right or something like that it's like okay the story was great the visuals were great mm -hmm. it was told really well there wasn't anything you know that was slow that like detracted from the story there weren't any like side things that like kind of messed up but then like all of the like side adventures were counterpoint to the Mm. main story you know get all technical with it but i think part of it too is just that like emotional feel of like you know yeah this is from my childhood i have a lot of nostalgia Mm. from this this was a really great series this is what inspired me to be you know an an artist or a musician or Mm. whatever and so like i give it five out of five because i'm looking at it through rose-colored glasses yeah you know versus like well technically this was well done and and it's got the best reviews and it was genre defining, but I just don't really like it. Yeah, I think so that's there's fair a lot too. of balance. I think there's I, I was thinking about like Watchmen is kind of the thing that everybody always touts out as like this is like the, the epitome mm. of comic bookdom. But I have some philosophical sort of disagreements with <laughs> Alan Moore and his assertions as a writer in that story. Mm-hmm. Um and also the killing joke as well. I I think his argument in that is basically that one bad day is all it takes to change somebody into oh, either yeah. Batman or the Joker. And I don't necessarily agree with that. Mm-hmm. I think it's not the bad thing that happens to you. It's how you react to the bad thing that happens yeah. to you that that defines who you become. So it's it's not the event itself that forces you down one path or another. Mm-hmm. Because I think that removes that element of like human choice. So... There, there are a lot of those things that are considered classics that I really do enjoy, but that maybe I wouldn't necessarily say that's a five of f- right. out of five for me. Whereas I think for you, I mean, if I were just to guess, is there really anything wrong with the story where Gwen Stacy dies in Spider-Man? Or is that pretty much a perfect encapsulation <laughs> of like, this is the character distilled down to like what makes him great. He has to make a decision about like, the kind of person that he's going to be, how he's going to protect his loved mm. ones, how he's going to move on from this event. And it's so important that they keep bringing it up in comics years and years and years later yeah. because it was so defining for that character. So I'm sort of talking myself into rating something higher. But if I think about things in that context, I don't have as much of the emotional connection to Miss Marvel as a character, but that was the story that we read last year that had that kind of impact on that Mm. character. Because it really felt like 
she's not going to be the same person after this. It's going to affect every story that she's in afterwards where she's like, I met my hero and I had to stand up to her and I actually had to make a different choice. Yeah. And it seems like that would really teach her, you know, to act differently or be different from that point on. So I think maybe that's the stuff that I'm really looking for. Ultimately, Mr. Miracle was the only five that I've given out. And that was, again, it was just because emotionally I felt such a connection to the material that I felt like, well, this is a five for me because it was so well implemented too. Mm -hmm. It was, and you gave it a four just because it was implemented so well, but you were like, but I don't necessarily, you know, it doesn't give me the feels or whatever as much. So I don't know that we're ever going to land on a five at the same time, which is actually interesting. Yeah. I don't know that I would necessarily ever give out a five. And if I did, it might be like one thing that just everything came together on. Yeah. Like I'm not really a fan of like when you say, well, what's your favorite movie or what's your favorite food or what's your favorite Mm -hmm. color? Like, well, why do I have to pick one? Why can't I enjoy you know, a whole bunch of things, mm-hmm. you know, at the same time. Mm-hmm. And like, who's my favorite character? Well, I wear Spider-Man a lot and I have a lot of Spider-Man comics yeah. and I really like Spider-Man, but that doesn't mean there aren't characters that I like just as much, or maybe sure. some stories I like even more. Like mm-hmm. it just, it just depends. So a five for me would have to be like, I can't really dock it too much for, you know, anything technical, but mm-hmm. kind of like you said, it just, it just connects with me yeah. and I really enjoy reading it. And it's a great story and it just it just does it for me. Like it'd have to be something personal versus yeah. something like that we could attribute it to. Like if sure. I gave a five, I probably wouldn't be able to really explain why other mm. than just I just really like this. I think it is almost easier to do with stuff like TV and movies mm-hmm. to say this is a perfect score. And I'm not sure why that is, but there there are like certain episodes of and again, we're bringing up Star Trek again, but. <laughs> Of, like, Deep Space Nine that I'm, like, clearly this is a five. Like, this is, like, the episode where Cisco has to make the decision to cooperate with Garrick to bring the Romulans mm-hmm. into the war. And I can't believe I can't think of the name of it right now, but the name escapes me. But that, that and seeing his moral dilemma and him coming to the point at the end of being, like, I regret everything that I just did, but also I would totally do it again. Yeah. Because it was the only way to win and get through this situation. Mm-hmm. So that those kind of things, like I think that's like a clear this is of higher quality than the rest of the series. Yeah. However, with comic books, it's really hard to compare one to another because Hawk and Dove are totally different characters than Spider Man or than Miss Marvel or whatever. And you would almost need the context of that character's entire continuity to go like, oh, this is the best story in the continuity mm. of this character, which, again, I think that's why I was able to bump Hawkman up a little bit higher because I was like, I've got a lot of Hawkman reading under my belt. Right. And this is definitely head and shoulders above everything else that's <laughs> been written about the character. So, comics? Well, stay tuned for season three. So what kind of characters and stories are you looking forward to reviewing? For me, the stuff that I specifically feel like it's either a box that I want to check off just to say that we've done it, mm-hmm. or it's a character that I really like, so I want to cover them. Um, Aquaman, definitely, because we still haven't gotten to him, but we haven't really done a straight-ahead Spider-Man story either. So True. both of our like supposed top you know, favorite characters... <laughs> 
um, if we have those, we, we haven't done a story about them. Right. I think a lot, a little bit of that is fear of just being like, I don't want to pick something that's like so near and dear to me. And then you just be like, I just didn't. This it was wasn't bad. good. Yeah. Yeah. So haven't done Aquaman. We've done an Avengers story. We've not done Justice League. So I would like to do that. Mm. Maybe even Justice League Dark for that That'd different flavor because they're totally different characters in a totally different setting. Um, I really like Superman. We haven't done anything with him. We've done plenty of Batman, so I don't feel like we need to come back to that. I mean, not for mm -hmm. a long time. Yeah. At Marvel, I really like Nova. Um, I, I would really love to do a story about him. I, I think I've communicated it in the past. Marvel characters that I like tend to be the ones that are just a little bit to the sides, that are kind of mm -hmm. outside the norm. So I'm, I would be excited to do them and also... Uh, I got a cloak and dagger trade for Christmas, and after reading that, I'm really like, yeah, yeah. I want to, I want to do that too. So, uh, and then as far as the mutant characters, X Force or X Men, um, I don't know where to start. <laughs> Honestly, if the anybody in the comments would like to get in there and recommend stories that are, are good starters or good peeks into that world where we can really get some character meat, mm -hmm. uh, I would like that. And then uh, at Wildstorm. I'd really just like to do one of the Wildstorm universe characters. So the Wildcats are kind of their flagship team book, but um, and they are now integrated into the DC universe. So that's a little bit weird because they exist alongside the DC heroes. Oh, weird! But because they're kind of Black Ops characters, the fact that nobody knows about them makes sense because it's like, well, no, of course they're all clandestine teams. Right. So of course we've never heard of these people in DC. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but yeah, I'd be excited to dive into that too. So I think I think that's pretty much my checklist. Yeah, we have a lot of comic characters that we really enjoy reading mm -hmm. that we haven't done on the show yet, mm -hmm. which is kind of weird because you think those would be the first right. ones that we would have picked. But like, <laughs> you know, definitely a straight up Spider-Man story, uh, Deadpool, mm -hmm. of course, Captain Marvel, Doctor Who, mm -hmm. I would really like to get into. Uh, Blade, like I really, after playing Midnight Suns, I really want to oh, read man. some Blade comics because yeah. all I know about Blade came from Wesley Snipes, mm -hmm. and I really like it a lot. And so I kind of want to see, well, what is the you know comic character actually yeah. about? Will, you know, will I like that as much as I enjoy the Wesley Snipes portrayal or not? Who knows? But I'd also like to get into like maybe some of the Star Wars comics because. Mm -hmm. That's something I'm getting into in media a lot now that I didn't used to in the past because I'm not watching as much Star Trek, right, so now right. I'm watching Star Wars. But then I, I kind of want to do some like weird, just off-the-wall stuff like yeah. the Ninja Turtles, Batman crossover, and you know just kind of see what independent things are out there. Like mm -hmm. maybe the the comic that uh, Keanu Reeves did. Oh, yeah, Berserker or whatever, yeah. except there's no vowels. Um, BZRKR yeah, or something, it's something yeah. like that. Just get some like totally off the yeah. wall, like where we come in with absolutely no context, and there isn't any context because this is all that there is. Yeah, and, that know, would be cool. Just just sort of check some of that stuff out. So that's what's on my list. That would be cool. Well, uh, one of the best things about doing a podcast is that we have really great listeners. So one of our fans actually sent us these gifts for the holidays, oh, yeah. and I don't know if you can see that. That says one says Mike and one says Joe. So we don't know what's in here, we no and idea. we are about to find out. So it, it's supposedly comic book related. So let's tear it open. Mine says DC. <gasps> Uh-oh. Well, knowing who this is from, uh, he is a DC guy. Mine oh, is dude. an atrocitous Oh, nice. Figure. And I have Hawkman. Oh, so nice. if you can see that. So that's perfect, especially for this last year of the podcast. Got Katar Hall or go. Carter Hall, depending on 
who you're looking at. That looks a lot bigger than Atrocitus. I feel like Atrocitus should be a lot bigger. I feel like he should too. Yeah, look at that. Maybe it's just the wings inflating him a little bit, making him look wider. This is really cool though. Like I saw DC, but then I saw this and I'm like, I really, yes. really enjoyed the Red Lantern <laughs> story and I wish that Red Lanterns were still going on. So this is really oh, cool. Man. Thank you. Yeah, Atrocitus that's awesome. from the Red Lantern. Thanks a bunch, man. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Well, if you enjoyed this episode and you want to purchase any of the comics that we've reviewed on our show for yourself, check out our Amazon store at BonelessComicsPodcast.com, where you can also find additional audio and video content. And tell us your favorite episode of Season 2 or what you'd like us to review in Season 3 by posting a comment on social media at Boneless Comics Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube, and at Boneless Comics 1 on Twitter. Wherever you post, be sure to use our hashtag boneless comics podcast and make sure to follow like and subscribe for more and so uh based on what we just talked about <laughs> tune in next time for the blade series by mark guggenheim and howard chaikin from 2006 all right thank you so much until then thanks for listening we'll catch you later catch you later Hawkman, <laughs> you will die oh we don't want to break them oh no we shouldn't play with them <laughs> we like comics because they have